Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this last Rebel Report of 2019. Uh, we will not be back until after the new year. Uh, as much as we would like to do a show the day after Christmas or two days after Christmas, uh, I don't love you guys that much. And then I'll be off through the end of the new year. So we'll be back at it probably January 3rd, something like that, the Friday after New Year, something like that. So last one for a while. So I guess we'll make sure it's a solid one to tide you over. Bunch to get into today. Ole Miss played a basketball game. Uh, semi-indoors they won they escaped with the win we got some nfl stuff to get to maybe to project some things to talk about um what might happen for Ole Miss football between now and the next time we have a podcast basically through the end of the year a lot of stuff to get to what's up oh not a whole lot man just trying to figure out what we're going to talk about on the radio show today yeah uh it's uh i mean like it's not i guess really not much of it could be old Miss or there's not a whole lot of – there's content out there, but I guess not a ton of it is Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Southern Miss-centric is what I'm trying to say because it is a busy time of year. But for, like, college football and college basketball really hasn't gotten fully cranked up to conference play yet. It is kind of a weird time, I guess, for us locally because particularly with this early signing period, I guess it had always been this way to a degree. There's not really much to do for the coaches. I guess we can get into State's bowl game. When's their game? Are they somewhere – between it's Monday the 30th, the 30th, and it starts at 3 o'clock, so even though you're off that day, we're just going to have to, like Richard and I, are just going to have to sit there and like live react to the game. Because, I mean, even though I highly doubt we'll have any of our state fan listeners listening to us that day, I mean, what the hell else are we going to talk about? Like college football playoff stuff, and then state's bowl game will be going on in real time. Uh, so that'll be fun. At least I guess that takes some pressure off as far as uh... – as far as like you having to plan, like if someone has to, that plans out the show every day, like if nothing else, that probably takes some pressure off from just planning show content because you know that's what you'll be doing. I mean, literally the whole time. If it starts at three o'clock, like college football games, that that thing's not getting over before the show ends. But I don't know. That could honestly make for a pretty good reaction podcast. Like if you package the podcast and then like put it out and sold it like that, like basically just a state reaction show. But yeah, point being, kind of a. Uh, Interesting content time. I guess uh, just kind of getting right into it. I, I mean, Ole Miss played a basketball game over the weekend. They escaped with an 83-76 win over Southeastern Louisiana. Did you? Sounds like you watched most of this. Yeah, I did, and um, I, I was planning on actually physically going, but uh, a two-month-old just kind of changes uh, the way you can make plans anymore. Yeah, uh, I would imagine so. Then you just. Uh, I mean, it just looks rough. Even when you're watching on TV, it, it just – you can tell that it is not um, up to date, even watching on television. Yeah, it is a rough venue. And Thursday, they had a basketball availability that kind of like like right before the radio show that bled into the radio show. So I didn't go to it because, one, I knew there was a game Saturday – so I was like, there really isn't a whole lot to get to from this. It was like Kermit and Crowley. But one nugget I did miss from that was Kermit was asked about, and Richard kind of already covered this in that interview we played on the radio show with Kermit last week about returning to Jackson. 
in the future and all that. And he was basically just saying, like, you know, we're looking at other options. I don't really know what else makes sense. But, like, you know, they want to play it in Jackson, but that facility is really just holding pretty much everything back. I, the crowd, of per the stat sheet, was 2,042. I didn't think it was terrible, but it certainly wasn't good. There was a better crowd last year when it was a weeknight game on Tuesday. I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday at, oh, I want to say 6-7, doesn't really matter. It was a little bit better crowd. That probably had something to do with it. People were doing Christmas shopping. People were doing all kinds of different stuff. But to your point, the, the overarching thing here is the building. I mean, that place is is awful. It it uh, Neil looked at me at one point and was <laughs> – I don't think he found me sharing this. He just – so there's this there's – there's, we were on the floor like at the press table, but there's like a hockey-style type like press box towards the top. And I was like, hey, man, you want to go sit up there and see if the Wi-Fi works? Like semi-joking, he just goes – you could commit a murder up there and nobody would know for weeks. <laughs> like, it just, his kind of point was like, the place just has an ominous feel to it. Like it, it really is just kind of, it was kind of like the tad pad. You were in school for most of the tad, I mean, for pretty much all the tad all pad thing. Yeah. Like I, it was just gloomy walking in there. And I would say this place has that type of feel to it kind of on steroids. Like I, I did point out to Kuffner, the uh, basketball study, it is, it was better lit than last year. And I, I'm not being like, I'm not trying to like, I guess be facetious when I say that it was super dim last year. And I know one of the issues was Ole Miss made them put in new lights uh, or maybe Ole Miss installed the lights. I can't remember what happened there before they played the game. It was lighter this year, but it didn't really help much. Like it was, it's just really just a, a terrible place to walk into. Like it just has an odd feel to it. And so, I don't know. It doesn't sound like they're going to be back in the future. Kermit kind of hinted at that on Thursday. Where I don't know where else they'd play the game though. Like Tupelo doesn't really make a ton of sense, right? Because the Tupelo no, people are forty-five close. minutes away. South even really the Mississippi close. Gulf Coast Coliseum. That would be a good one if you could do a miss. If you could do a Gulf Coast and then a Nashville and Atlanta, because Ole Miss does a has a huge out-of-state alumni base. If you could hit two of those three spots a year and maybe have the coast be the permanent one. I think that would be a solid option. Well, and the coast makes more sense to me, even though Jackson's fine. If the facility was better, it'd be great if they played a game in Jackson every single year, because you've got a, a fan base in Jackson, but the coast, those are people that can probably hardly ever, if ever go to an Ole Miss basketball game. <laughs> probably I mean, hard for a, them to go to football games too. I mean, yeah. a little easier, but still a pain in the butt. And of course, football is just a bigger draw and you can make a weekend out of it. But to to go to a two hour basketball game, to drive five and a half hours to do it, that just that just doesn't happen very often. And I'm just looking at pictures. And I mean, the Gulf Coast Coliseum looks fine. It looks kind of like the facility you were just in, but a little bit more uh, updated. What's interesting to me about that is and I don't know that necessarily the demographic down on the coast growing up here in this state. I spent, as a kid, literally zero time on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I could be misremembering, but I had a, a three or four buddies that I became pretty close with in college from Gulfport, Biloxi area, and I went with them for the uh, Mardi Gras parade freshman year of college down there. And to my knowledge, that was really the first time I'd ever been to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I had lived in the state my whole life. I say that to say, like, what is the demographic down there? Like, is it, I figured it was a lot of Southern, a lot of LSU. Like, 
in a lot of ways, and I mean this mostly as the utmost compliment, it doesn't feel like the rest of Mississippi. So would it be worth it from that standpoint as far as like strong enough fan base, alumni base? Like surely there's enough Ole Miss people down there to make it worth their while. There's enough Ole Miss people down there to make it worth their while. There really is. I mean, it's obviously not going to be as big as Jackson. And as you mentioned, there are going to be some I mean, there are not as many, but there are people that work in New Orleans that live in Mississippi and they just commute the hour or so every day. Not many, but like I have spoken to people that do that every single day. I mean, we've got a coworker who they're big Saints people and where they stay is in past Christiane. So it, it's close enough to New Orleans where you will get those LSU people and stuff. But I, I think it would absolutely be worth their while if they could figure it out. And I don't mean this in a negative way. Southern Miss does have a fan base in the state of Mississippi. That's not what I'm saying. But it's not like they would have some kind of stronghold, if that makes sense. Right. No, that definitely makes sense. It would be a cool trip, too. I mean, if I didn't live on the coast, like I really enjoyed the two or three times I've been down there since. I know most like two of them are for the Mardi Gras parade. But just like being around the coast, it's a very pleasant place to be, like even if you weren't from down there making a weekend trip out of that and doing the casino or if it's warm golf or whatever would be pretty cool so uh, point being they're looking at other options it doesn't sound like at least for 2020 it uh it will be back there in the mississippi coliseum it sounds like Ole miss will be taking a break from that i guess we don't know for sure but that's at least what kermit davis kind of hinted at and this place is basically right on the beach like there's the coliseum the parking lot the road, I don't know what highway it is that's uh, that splits everything from uh, the actual beach, but it's 90. So it's the Coliseum, the Coliseum's parking lot, 90, and then the beach. Like, it is on the beach, basically. Yeah, see, that sounds like a pretty good spot to do it. And, like, even if you aren't from down there, making a weekend out of it and doing, like, the casinos – and going down there and seeing the game or staying down there. There's a bunch to do down there is my point. So I think that'd be pretty cool. Point being is they're look, they're certainly looking at other options. It sounds like they're taking a break from this for at least 2020. Kermit hinted at that. I guess we don't know for sure. But point being is you, you got to build a new building or something. The state, I, the, I learned that the state owns that thing, not the city of Jackson. But you got to do something. Wait, the state owns that? No way. Yeah, the st- apparently, apparently the state owns that, and the state owned Veterans Memorial before they sold it to Jackson State. And from what I read, I think they sold it to Jackson State for a dollar. I'm not kidding. Oh wow! So just handed it over. But God, yeah. the co- if the state owns the Coliseum, man, it, it's not like it would take, you know, forty million dollars of renovations to make it to where you don't just feel bad about yourself when you go there. You know what I mean? It wouldn't take all that much to just make it not what it is. And it would pay itself back because they uh, – Jackson, I, I believe they still have that worldwide like famous type ballet or gymnastics. I don't want to get it wrong. They do, It's uh, but they do it at uh, Thaliamara. I know that because my wife really enjoys going to it. Wait, they do it where? At what is it, Thaliamora? Thaliamora? The the theater downtown? Oh, okay. I, for whatever reason, I thought it was at the Coliseum. They've got the rodeo. Point being, you would get more, I, I feel like you would get more concerts, you would get more events if you had just a decently nice event center in the capital state of Mississippi. To your point, whether you're renovating that one or building a new one, it doesn't have to be anything special or state-of-the-art. Like, I'm not saying half-ass it, 
but it doesn't have to be like over the top. It doesn't have to be this expensive project. If you have a a, a usable facility, I feel like it would pay itself back and do the city, the city itself and the state as a whole a ton of good for just having a decent, you know, civic center type thing. That may not even be the right phrase. Event center in the state's uh, capital city. Yeah, like because it, you would get more games like this. I mean, even like NBA teams, for example, play preseason games not in their city and not in like a road city. Like they'll play neutral site preseason games. I mean, you could attract uh, New Orleans or Memphis to play a preseason game in Jackson because I know you've got a pretty good Grizzlies fan base here and the Grizzlies G League team is technically, even though it's called the Memphis Hustle, is in Mississippi. So you have two NBA teams that uh, would, I mean, it would be a really good idea for them to play a preseason game in a metro area with 600,000 potential basketball fans for you. Like little things like that that you could attract to the city that you don't do right now. And the yep. NCAA tournament whenever the flag gets changed. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> this, this place doesn't hold itself back at all. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree. It's it's. It's it. They got to do something about it. Kermit said on Thursday. I thought this is an interesting note that he said that they've even explored doing, seeing if one of the casinos on the coast could handle it and do it like the Atlantis thing. I found that. Oh, to be that's sick. Yeah, if what I don't know if that's logistically play possible. Play in the arena there. What? You're going to the coast though. Why don't you just play in the arena there? That's true. But like, if you could do the, uh, if you could do the casino, that might just get people there because it's like, holy hell, this is like the Atlantis thing. <laughs> That's awesome. He said, cool that, uh, he said that playing. So Jay Ladner, who was the coach of S- southeastern Louisiana the last time Ole Miss played, is now the head coach at Southern, uh, has been open, not necessarily to the casino idea, like they've been talking about that, but he's been open to doing a neutral site series with Ole Miss down there. Um, Kermit talked from listening to the sounds of it. Kermit talked about that, like maybe the last guy, maybe Sadler wasn't as interested. I don't know. Point being, is Southern Miss is interested, so I don't know. They're looking at alternative options. They've got to do something. As far as the game itself, not much better from an Ole Miss standpoint. They really struggled for most of the game defensively. I thought they played okay offensively at times, but they couldn't guard anybody. Uh, I mean, Ty Brewer, the Meridian kid, uh, came back to Mississippi with apparently a hell of a lot to prove because they couldn't guard him. He dropped 30 and basically just kind of lugged an undermanned and undersized team as far as long as he could. And they were right there in the game. And to be completely honest, when it it was 69-66, like somewhere in that neighborhood with about four minutes left, they got kind of screwed on a couple of 50-50 calls, block charge call, a couple of ticky-tack fouls. They were a couple of whistles away and a basket or two away from like really actually having a, a really good shot to win that game. So Ole Miss was uh, very fortunate to escape with that because that would have been a uh, catastrophic net loss. Louisiana, Southeast Louisiana has played a tough schedule, but the, the fact of the matter is they're three and eight and Ole Miss has no business losing to them. But they they couldn't defend anybody. They They couldn't get matched up. They couldn't get anyone to guard Brewer. Like they couldn't keep people in front. Of them. They got, they they lost the like. I think this was the most indicative side of the night. They got outscored 32-30 in the paint, but had a 12, uh, 12 rebound advantage on the glass. Like they just got blown by off the dribble. Like they got face cut a bunch. They they gave up way too many easy layups. How much of that do you think? And I know the the team the last couple of weeks has been kind of working through some things, right? But even that tough four-game stretch, they still have a win over Penn State in there, and that win continues to look even better. But 
the team was not perfect and they certainly had their problems. All of that being understood, how much do you think the lackadaisical play was due to the fact that they were in a half-empty arena in Jackson on the 21st of December? Oh, I think a pretty good bit. I think you're on to something there. That was a little bit what I wrote about on Saturday. Is like, yeah, this team hasn't been playing that well lately. They're kind of working through some stuff. They got a little bit right on against middle, a bad Middle Tennessee State team last Saturday. But I, I think that was a pretty large part of it. I, I don't think what they did on Saturday was necessarily indicative of a larger trend of issues. Because for the most part, they've been an okay to pretty good defensive team. And at times, they've been good enough to kind of overcome uh, how bad they've been offensively. I would say that's more been more of their struggles through the early part of the season. So I, I think you're kind of... Uh, I think you're kind of on something, onto something there to where I, I think that was a little bit more of a one-off. You know, you're in a crappy building. There's no one there. You're playing a team that you should beat pretty easily. I think there's a lot of that in terms of it fueling the lethargic nature with how they played. But at the same time, they weren't great offensively at times. I mean, really what it came down to is Southeastern Louisiana wasn't – I mean, they were an undersized team, and they had no one that could match up man-to-man with Hadim C in the post. And to his credit, he took over what he had, I believe 20 and seven. Um, and really just kind of, they ran basically all their offense through him down the stretch of the game. It, that's basically what it came down. That was really the only thing that saved them is Ole Miss was bigger and more athletic and they had no one on the yellow team that could guard him. And that's pretty much what the game came down to. Cause Ole Miss dominated the glass. He dominated the second half. So, Looking better at times, they're a little disjointed offensively, but to your point, I, I do think that was a bit of a one-off and a product of their environment in terms of how lethargic they played. Um, positive sign is that Tyree wasn't great in this game. Shuler played a little bit better, um, but I mean, C showing more signs of dominance. You can see kind of the pieces starting to come together, but they, they were just terrible defensively in this game. That's really what kept Southeastern Louisiana in it. And and just, what, one more tune-up game, if you want to call it that, before they go to Wichita. Which, I, I guess, we didn't talk about it, or, or nobody really talked about it going into the season. And I guess, you know, things just kind of get buried with football season. And you had Butler on the schedule and Memphis on the schedule. But it's not a key road game. But if they can find a way to win in Wichita, which is a really tall task, I'm aware, that would be massive for them starting SEC play. Oh, yeah, sure. That's a top 15 uh, net team. They've got wins over Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're really good. It's a part of that. Uh, I believe it's a part of that uh, SEC American challenge. Like that's that would be a huge spring boost to them going going into conference play against, you know, kind of opening conference play against Texas A&M. Because right now they have no bad losses uh, that and they have one pretty good win that's kind of turning into a really, really good win. And that's that's really kind of where they're sitting. So, yes, that would be huge in terms of them kind of building momentum into the conference into conference play, because, like you said, like that that's a that's a tall task, and that's a team like oh like Wichita State will be favored in that game, and Ole Miss will have to play really well to pull off a win. But that'd be a huge opportunity for them. That would that that would be a really kind of confidence boost. That would be kind of a statement you make going into SEC play. And, you know, that would add, I mean, because at this point, I think they're going to have to win mm, 10 SEC games to feel good about their NCAA tournament chances. A win like that, adding that kind of confidence, that kind of quality win would really give you a uh, 
a little bit of breathing room heading in the SEC play. The good news and bad news at the same time for Ole Miss is the SEC does not look like the bear it did in November when we were talking about it. There's two or three pretty good teams, I would say, maybe four Ole Miss I would put in kind of in that category. Then the rest of it kind of stinks. And Tennessee just lost a what their leading scorer as well for the season. So yeah, that was uh that was shocking news. It they, poor poor guy. That's uh that that's tough. Lamonte Turner basically I knew like I'd read that he'd been dealing with some shoulder stuff for I, I don't even think it was just this year. I think it was last year and a half or two. And you kind of feel bad for the kid because if he's gutting it out that far into this, his senior or his last season senior season and then just decides I literally can't do this anymore, you know it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. But the early schedule kind of sets up pretty nice for Ole Miss. I mean, A&M is abysmal, and they have to go to College Station to start SEC play, but they're abysmal. That, that's the problem, though, is last year there weren't really any RPI bombs, well, net bombs, whatever you want to call it. Um, A&M might be one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Missouri's probably going to be one. Vanderbilt, at least you get at home, but... There's a couple of these now on your schedule that you really can't lose. And it starts on January 7th with Texas A&M. But, I mean, Florida's been struggling a little bit lately. Arkansas has played maybe the softest schedule in the SEC so far. I mean, they're 10-1, and but look at the games that they have played. Uh, Ole Miss would be 10-1 and as well if they had Arkansas schedule maybe even uh, undefeated. It's just not good. Their one loss is at Western Kentucky. Uh, LSU's kind of struggling a little bit. You get them at home. So you start the SEC slate with, I mean, four winnable games before you go to Knoxville. Yeah, and but the downside to that is, is last year Ole Miss made the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you really want to boil it down to its simplest form, Ole Miss made the NCAA tournament last year because it beat Auburn twice. I mean, those yeah. were two of its best wins. Obviously, Auburn ended up being a Final Four team. That's why they made the tournament. Obviously, other reasons. Like, if you want to boil it down to its simplest form, that's why they made the tournament, and because they had ample opportunities down the stretch. You remember they finished basically the last month and a half of the season as a 500 basketball team, but they're playing Tennessee, they're playing Kentucky, they're playing a pretty good state team, they're playing LSU, whatever. You don't have that those games down the stretch this year. It's really basically the Ole Miss, Ole Miss in the month of February last year. I don't have the schedule from last year pulled up in front of me right now, but you're basically going into it. They were basically going into that month trying not to screw up and maybe pick one off to give them some breathing room. Like I, I remember it was, it was, they had Georgia, they had South Carolina and they had Missouri where it was like, you need to basically get through that unscathed. And then if you can pick off Tennessee, Arkansas or Kentucky through one stretch, you're good. And then you've got to take care of business against Missouri in the season finale, which is exactly what they did. Cause you remember that day they win, they made a huge comeback in the second half, and that basically print uh, stamped their ticket. You're not going to have that this year. You're not going to have just like, hey, we're going to go through and basically be playing with house money in a couple of these games. They're going to have to win a bunch of conference games because just the league is not that good. I mean, I think there's only – I think off the top of my head, I'm looking it up right now as we speak. I believe there's only like three top 50 teams in the net for the SEC. It's been way worse. I feel like that hasn't been talked about enough. It has been way worse than – uh than was projected. So good and bad for them. They have a chance to string some together, some wins, but at the same time, you're not going to have that. If you have a bad loss, you're not going to have many opportunities, as many opportunities to rectify it as, as last year. Cause I thought the league was going to be stronger this year. I was just completely wrong. Well, everybody thought it was going to be stronger. And I mean, I guess it probably should be. Uh, I just, I wonder 
I guess LSU still recruiting five stars. I just I wonder how much this uh, FBI stuff has caused. And well, college basketball as a whole is not any good though. Yeah, no, that's it's been a down year. I mean, there's not as many. I mean, I I think I I read something over the weekend from Bill Self where he's just like, there's not as many good players. Yeah, and I think it was Tim Brando. I think it was Tim Brando. I don't mean to misattribute something to him, especially when I disagree with it, but it's fine. Uh, I think it was him that was talking about how the removal of the one and done will either even further hurt college basketball. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either because now you will have players and teams that will develop a little bit. Which is what you had in the 80s. Yeah, and I mean, there's only a handful of guys that should be one and dones anyway. And I don't know. I just, I don't think it'll ruin the product. The product already sucks. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't agree with that either, but I'm trying to look this up off the top of my head or, and not go off the top of my head. I should say, let's see. Here we go. Auburn's eight. Arkansas is 34. Tennessee's 46. Arkansas is a little bit hollow, as you mentioned, because their schedule. Ole Miss, 52. Florida, 56. LSU, 57. And then it drops off. Missouri, 67. Kentucky, 74. Alabama, 77. Georgia, 83. South Carolina, 93. State, 100. Good Lord. State must not have played anyone. Vanderbilt, 133. Texas A&M, 204. No, so, and Mississippi State has a couple of uh, pretty bad losses now. So they got beat by New Mexico State yesterday in Jackson. Uh, State lost be, that game? Yes, they lost. They had 20 points, I think, at halftime yesterday uh, against oh, New Mexico State. They have a loss against Louisiana Tech, and then they're, uh, they have a good loss um, uh, in a neutral site against Villanova. But their wins, I mean, their best win would be Kansas State, who's struggling, and other than that, just a bunch of nobodies. Yeah, they, uh, um, they have a really talented team. That, By the way, Kansas State is 6-4, and four, so not your typical Kansas State team. But they have a, a legit NBA player in Reggie Perry. I think Adu's been better. They'll get Witherspoon back, and that'll help some things. But it's just, as is tradition with Ben Howland coach teams, and I guess this isn't really the platform for it, but I have a feeling Ole Miss fans that are listening won't have a problem hearing this. Uh, they're just not well coached. That's what it is. There's a ton of talent on that team, and there's a ton of talent on last year's team. How they didn't gel last year is beyond me because they had two, three NBA fringe guys and one definite NBA player. Yeah, but that's kind of his his MO, right? I mean, if you look at his Final Four teams, look at the rosters that he had on those Final Four teams, and he deserves a lot. Russell Westbrook helps. I mean, uh, probably not, but I feel like I could at least like get to the Sweet 16 with those two dudes on a college basketball team. I mean, all you do is just like give them the ball and let them do whatever the hell they want, and they can beat people. But you can have three walk-ons and win two tournament games with them just playing two-man ball from the top of the key. Yeah, and that that's the thing with him at Mississippi State, and I mean, the the fans just are not showing up there at all, and I don't blame them because the product's just not good. I, I mean. There's no excuse to playing the way they did and losing to New Mexico State yesterday. And it'd be different if it was just isolated. Like, who did Duke lose to? What, Sam uh, or Stephen, Stephen F. Austin? F. Austin has been a pretty good program, but not great this year, to your point. Yeah, like, that happens sometimes. But this is just too consistent with Mississippi State. Like, he's been able to acquire talent that, if 
if you switched rosters, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, Kermit Davis would beat the brakes off of Mississippi State this year with their own players. Like, not to quote John Rothstein, but it applies here. They, for five years, have underachieved in relation to the talent that he's been able to bring in, and people are frustrated, and I get it, because they shouldn't be like this. I agree. I actually have a couple of thoughts on this. To, I mean, not Ole Miss related, don't really care. I find this interesting, but got to take a break. Tell you, podcast brought to you by LBs. Borky and I will be doing the LBs bowl pick them here, here in a bit, so stick around for that. Uh, we'll go through basically all bowl season because we're we're not we'll be taking a pretty significant break from the podcast week and a half. But go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, you know who's good at coaching people and how to get meat? Greg. You don't have to worry about shitty coaching uh, when it goes when it comes to LBs. They got Lane Kiffin special, uh, six ounce bacon wrap fillet, ten bucks. The late Keith Carter special, I believe, eight ounce bacon wrap fillet for uh, fifteen bucks. All kinds of daily specials, plate lunches. You can go in there and grab something to eat for lunch, decide what you want to throw on the grill later. But if you're in the Oxford area, go get some meat to grill uh, during the holiday season when you're with your in-laws. To escape to get outside, you can just stand by the grill and sip a drink and not have to talk to anyone inside. But best place to get meat in Oxford, without a doubt, University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's Meat Market. Um, But finishing up that thought, because I just find this interesting, you mentioned Kermit Davis being able to take – you know, state's team and, and kick the crap out of Ole Miss. Uh, it would have been the same thing last year, too. State was immensely more talented at Ole Miss, and I was genuinely shocked that Ole Miss won that game that day in that building. That was kind of the best week for Ole Miss basketball in, I don't know, a decade. That may be unfair because the NCAA tournament went over Wisconsin and all that, but they got ranked. They beat Auburn State back-to-back weeks. Like, there was one team that was in supremely more talented on the floor, and it wasn't the team wearing blue that day. I, I it, The... the the lack of production he's getting out of what he's recruiting there is shocking to me. It just – that's kind of how it's been with him, though. And that's that's his M.O. And I don't know what they do. I understand why people are frustrated, man. They're not showing up. They don't care. But, I mean, this should be – they have a roster that should make the NCAA tournament easily. And barring some kind of unexpected change, they'll be around the bubble again. And the bubble is going to be terrible, so they may sneak in. But it's just, if you're a Mississippi State fan, how pissed off do you have to be knowing that Kermit Davis was basically in the car on the way to Starkville and you gave your job to Rick Ray instead? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Was that a uh, was that a Scott Strickland deal? I don't remember that far back. Well, John Cohen's not been on the job all that long. No, I knew it was him. I just didn't know if it was I didn't know if it was Strickland or if that was before Strickland's time because I actually I don't remember when Rick Ray got I, when Rick Stansberry got fired. Like in my mind, I was like twelve when that happened, but I know that's not the case. But point being, I don't know. Wrapping up the old Miss uh, the old Miss. Rick Stansberry was fired after the twenty twelve season. Okay, so twenty thirteen. Yeah, some yeah. Okay, so but that's six seven years ago yeah that's a that's a tough one to swallow because that's when i mean after that kermit davis had the whole michigan state deal and like that program really really got rolling so that's uh that yeah to your point that that's got to be a fairly fairly tough one to swallow but anyway wrapping up some final thoughts from this basketball game i I think i think the defensive issues were a bit of a one-off brian tyree was five of 15 not very good and when he doesn't guard on top of that uh, he's, he's, it just 
kind of combines into just kind of a two, double-edged sword to some degree for Ole Miss. If, if Bree, I'll tell you, if Bree and Tyree has aspirations to play professional basketball, like if he wants to get an NBA look, he's got to become a better defender because like that, what he did, what he does too often doesn't cut it. I mean, there's times where he just gives up on possessions, it gets face cut, and the guy goes right by him, and then he kind of acts surprised that it happened, and like. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to let that happen, you have to be putting up 20-something, 25, 30 points a game like he did against Middle Tennessee State, and he's not doing that. So while I think it was a little bit of a one-off, that's individually probably a little bit concerning. Devontae Shuler was pretty good in this game. Uh, I think he had had six assists, one or no turnovers. I'm trying to look up the stats as we speak, but pretty good on that end. I, Hadim C, him kind of becoming more of a force offensively, is definitely a good a good sign for Ole Miss. So Schuler finished with 19 and three. Okay, that's way off from what I thought. Wait, no. Oh, that's because I have last year's stat sheet pulled up. It's been a slow <laughs> Monday morning. I was yeah. like, what in the hell is going on here? I had oh, when I was looking man. through last year's home stretch, I had that pulled up. Anyway, point being. Uh, C becoming more of a force is definitely a good sign for Ole Miss because I don't think they trust a lot of Sammy Hunter. Uh, shout out to whoever asked that Mailbag Friday question last week about uh, about Franco Miller. I asked that came to mind because he was the first one off the bench on Saturday, and that came to mind, and I asked Kermit about that. And he was basically like, well, I can at least trust Franco to guard, and Bryce, I can't get Bryce to defend anybody. So, you know, offense aside, I, I'm going to play uh, – Franco Miller right now because I, I can't get Bryce Williams to guard. I don't think either way that's a huge deal just because, you know, Ole Miss backup point guard, they're taking up about eight to 12 minutes a night, it seems like, maybe about 15, 16, I guess, if you combine the two of them. Uh, but that, that's definitely minorly concerning, but I, I don't think that's a huge deal. So just to make sure I have this right, Schuler went, yeah, 11.6 assists, zero turnovers. So he's, he's continued to play well, which is a good sign because, like – as we've kind of mentioned a couple of times, this team is heavily relying on he and he and Brian to be good and basically really just not to be bad. Like when they're bad, they don't really stand much of a shot. You had 20 from Hadim C, seven, uh, seven rebounds. That's certainly a good sign. Uh, not Blake Henson had 13. KJ Buffin didn't play much of a factor in this. He had nine points in 32 minutes. He did have nine rebounds. So he's been okay. So all in all, offensively is a pretty good effort. Just defensively, they were kind of asleep. So. I don't know. They're going to be a benefit from this Christmas break, and then they've got one huge opportunity before conference play. So I think they're still have a pretty good shot at being an NCAA tournament team, but they're going to have to kind of I – mean, it's a cliche, but come together pretty well in the next couple of weeks to start playing more consistently because they can't throw the duds they have in SEC play because eventually one of those nights you're going to hit, get hit with a loss to a South Carolina or an A&M, and it's just going to screw up your numbers. Um but when I was looking at the numbers, Ole Miss having I mean, the SEC having 11 of 14 teams inside the top 100 uh, net, and state state being at 100 is actually a little better than I thought. They just don't have any good teams. They're really they're really not benefiting from Kentucky and Florida sucking. Is basically kind of what it's come down to so far. Yeah, and Kentucky will figure it out. They as always do. As, yeah, no, they they will. But man, they they lost to a a really bad Utah team the other night, and then Utah. Uh, followed that win over Kentucky up by getting beat by San Diego State by 30-something. So I don't think Utah's any good. Um, Utah. But, yeah, the, Cal's team will be much better in January and February than they are right now. Uh, I don't really know about Florida. They they seem to be kind of, uh, what is it, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde or whatever it is. 
Yeah. But whatever the old saying is, so I don't know. It'll be kind of fascinating to see how the SEC fleshes itself out in terms of who's good and who's not. Because I think you have the idea of three, four teams that are going to be pretty good, not great. And then where does the middle of the conference kind of shake out and how tough does that actually prove to be? Um, kind of elsewhere, there's not a whole lot of news to report on the Mississippi, I mean, not on the Ole Miss football front. Uh, as we've kind of mentioned over the last couple of weeks, I think Lane Kiffin is waiting for the end of the NFL season and really probably the bulk of bowl season. I mean, there's a hand select few of bowl games, but throughout those, it kind of covers bowl season on guys he wants to talk to. Uh, you know, I imagine there's a couple of defensive coordinator candidates he wants to talk to. Uh, at least one I know of being in college, two being in the pros right now, as we kind of mentioned last week, uh, Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, uh, Tosh Lupoy, if I'm saying that right, and Bo Davis. A couple in college you'd probably like to talk to. Obviously, Mike McIntyre in the mix. But point being, you're just kind of in a holding pattern until after New Year's. I think when we have our next podcast, we'll really kind of start to see some movement. But uh, really not much I've heard of on that front unless I'm missing something. Uh, I don't think you're missing anything at all. They're they're waiting. I mean, he was in Boca over the weekend. Um, I guess probably dealing with selling your house and your boat and moving and stuff. But uh, he was in Boca watching FAU's game. So... I mean, there's no rush. Uh, people, I assume, just really want news right now, but there isn't much news to be had. There's no reason to rush because they can't recruit anybody right now anyway. So, Yeah, I mean, they've got a break. I, sorry, I did see that video over the weekend. Kind it got of deleted, across. though. I wonder why. It got deleted? Yeah, it got deleted. Uh, it, what's his name? Kevin Smith, the new running backs coach? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's no longer on his, his Twitter account. I wanted to show somebody, and it, it was gone. The, uh, the reaction that strength coach Wilson Love had was quite interesting to the uh, FAU touchdown. Uh, so I pictured that, and if you put that guy in a suit and on the set of Wolf of Wall Street when you have the scene where he's like, I'm not leaving, I think that guy would fit in perfectly. <laughs> so that's what I kind of pictured that. I, I found that funny. But to your point, not a whole lot going on. They were in Boca over the weekend. Uh was he moving out? Or, I couldn't figure that out if you really want to dissect this video because we don't really have much better to talk about. There's a flat screen TV and then a completely empty house. And then he tweeted a photo of his dog. So he's obviously in Boca. What's going on there? Are they moving out and the TV was just the last to go? Uh, probably so. I mean, that would be my guess. But, I mean, I may not even be surprised if he keeps that house. I mean, that looks sweet. It's in one of those canals in Boca. He's got his boat already. I mean, you know, if you can afford it, why would you sell that place? Whose baby was that? Wasn't Kiffin holding an infant kid? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have no idea. Maybe one of the coaches? Yeah, because I knew that. I, I mean, I assume people watching it just assumed it was Kiffin's kid. But to my knowledge, he just has three kids, and they were all at that press conference. I was wondering whose baby that was. I imagine it wasn't that fellow that I talked to from when he got off the airplane, because I did see him give the kid back. Like, I, I don't know whose that was. I, I found that interesting. So just three dudes and this baby hanging out, just a bunch <laughs> of guys being dudes, like – I found that whole video kind of interesting. But anyway, so been a bit of a holding pattern there. I wouldn't expect much news until, well, we've got two more weeks of NFL. So you've got week 16 coming up. No, this that's is right. it. Oh, that's right. That's right. No, no, this, is, this was week 16. We've got one week. And so I imagine by you know next Monday, next Tuesday, something like that leading into the new year, you will have some movement. So maybe when we have the next podcast that next Friday, there will already have been some movement, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, 
really just caught me elsewhere. It was an interesting Sunday in the NFL, interesting Saturday. All three Saturday games were terrific. I, I saw someone else point this out on Twitter, so I can't take credit for this, but I don't remember who it was. The standalone games in the NFL this year, for the most part, have been awesome. There were some dud Monday night football games early in the year, but aside from that, it's been great. And all three of those games on Saturday I thought were fantastic in their own way. Uh, Jameis Winston, for starters, is like seeing what people are saying about him on the internet and being like, watch this, and just topping it. He threw a pick six on his, what, seven seconds in that game and then threw a second one that got called back because of penalty on the next series? Yeah, uh, and the there was Vegas odds on what time he would throw his first interception, and I think it was 2.30, and he threw it at 102. Yeah, he basically gave him until halftime. It basically, that one third or two thirty Eastern is basically giving it until halftime or the start of the third quarter. And yeah, he threw it on the first play. I mean, it's, it, that guy's unbelievable. But what's what's crazy is for whatever reason, because Jameis is so electric, I have been watching a bunch of Bucks games. Mostly, I watch Red Zone, and he's always on Red Zone because something crazy is always happening. He's either throwing, you know, sixty yard touchdown or getting picked. But through all of his turnovers, they always have a chance to win whatever game they're in. Like, I don't think there's any other team in the NFL that could overcome four first-half turnovers with a chance to win the game. And they do it every single week. They have a chance to win despite his turnovers every single week. It, Like, watching Bucks games, if you're talking about if you're talking about being an NFL fan, that would have to be a miserable existence. Because they're not a bad team. Like, they could very well finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But, man, you watch those games, and it's just like you don't know what's going to happen every time he's going to pass, and you're having to overcome so much, yet you have a chance at the end every time. It's wild to me. That would be a wild existence. Yeah, you're out of the games because of him, but also like in these games because of him. Yeah, no, it, it, it's nuts. Like, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. Then you had uh, the middle game, Brady kind of – that felt like an important like rallying moment for that Pats team because there was a moment when Allen threw the touchdown to John Brown. The Patriots weren't doing much offensively. It's 17-13. You're like, okay, this is actually going to uh, this is actually going to happen because I felt like if the Bills won that game, they probably weren't winning the division anyway. But it felt like kind of a statement moment where it's like, okay, this whole thing's coming to an end, and the Bills are kind of next. And it still may be that way, but like Belichick was smiling. They came back to win that game. They looked okay offensively. I still don't think they're very good. I don't think they can go on the road and beat Baltimore or whoever. I think they could lose at home, even if they get a bye, which they probably will by beating Miami next week. But that was uh, that felt like an important like last stand rallying cry type of deal, in my opinion. For sure. And um, Buffalo is just a quarterback away from being a really good team. And that's not really fair because, I mean, Josh Allen's still just so young into his career. But um, my goodness – there will be a couple of throws like the one to Dawson Knox that everybody around here was talking about that just, you know, make your eyes go wide open because Josh Allen just has so much arm talent, but he's so inconsistent that they just, they're not going to win games with him right now. But at the same, there's probably some part of that. What I don't understand, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but he has ridiculous arm talent. He can run. He has like, if you're talking from, Jameis Winston to Drew Brees on the accuracy spectrum, he's probably dead in the middle. But what I don't understand is if he has slight accuracy issues, and I think most of them are slight. Like, there aren't a ton of throws with him where I think, holy cow, he missed it by a bunch. They just don't catch passes because he misses and puts it in the wrong spot. But they have their smallest receiving core in the NFL. 
So if you have that kind of guy, why would you get a bunch of 5'10 wide receivers? <laughs> like, I watch their games, like the Sunday night game and that Pats game, and think, yeah, this guy's not great all the time. But if you put an A.J. Green or a bigger-bodied wide receiver, you would think at least three or four of those tip balls that become incompletions or picks are probably caught, no? I mean, so to Cole Beasley and John Brown. Cole Beasley's his best receiver. Yeah, and he's, what, five? Yeah, 5'10", 5'11", somewhere around there. Like That's what I don't understand. They're a goofy team to watch because Singletary's small, all the receivers are small, and then the quarterback's like 6'6". Like, I mean, they, they're a very funny team to look at offensively. Yeah, but I think I, they've got something there. I think he could be pretty good. He could. And it's not fair what I said because he's – you know, he's just in his second year. And uh, even though people are like crowning Lamar Jackson, the second coming of Jesus in his second year, sometimes it take guy, takes guys a little bit longer. Uh, read uh, Monday morning quarterback today. I think it was Albert Breer is the one that wrote it. And he had an anecdote in there about Drew Brees uh, when uh, San Diego drafted Philip Rivers. And an executive in San Diego told Drew Brees that, you know, hey, look, we're going to, I just want to give you a heads up so you're not blindsided. We're going to take a quarterback. And Drew Brees said, that's the biggest effing mistake that this organization's ever made. And look at what he became. Obviously, it helped that he was in a better situation to win, even though Hurricane Katrina happened and they had to basically rebuild the city. Uh, Sean Payton is still one of the best offensive minds in the sport. However, I mean, San Diego moved on from Drew Brees. Because he, he, and if you look at his stats, he wasn't all that productive at the time. So it takes guys a little bit of time. The long winded way to say it's too early to say whether or not Josh Allen's going to be a successful NFL quarterback, which is to anybody with a functioning brain knows that's true. But the feet to. thing helps mass the inaccuracy thing. Like him bringing the running ability to the table helps too. The, uh, the third game, I don't understand. Like the Rams are eliminated from the playoffs. I don't understand the Rams at all. Like I, they, they looked really good. Like the last, even in a loss, they looked really, really good, uh, minus a couple of plays. I, I don't think it's the end for them. Everyone loves to crap on like the, the like the dis. They were the disappointment team this year, and everyone loves to dump on it. But if they were twelve and four next year and back in the NFC Championship game, it wouldn't shock me. Despite being hamstrung with a bunch of bad contracts, there's still talent there. Like they're still pretty good. They just sucked in a really competitive division for way too long. Uh, that said. I think that if the Saints and Niners played again, I think I'm reversing uh, field here. The uh, the Niners' defense stinks. And I don't know. They've had some injuries. I don't know what's happened to it in the last couple weeks other than that. But if you gave me New Orleans, San Francisco now again, I think I'd take the Saints because the Niners' defense is, is brutal. They couldn't stop anyone Saturday night. Yeah, and I'm still so pissed off. I, I mean— <laughs> All Jared Goff has to not do is throw a pick six right before halftime. And one of the more egregious pick sixes you'll see, and they would have helped the Saints out a ton. I mean, you go from last year to where, uh, as everybody knows, the NFC Championship game, the penalty that benefited them. And now when they can return the favor by helping the Saints out by beating San they Francisco, don't do they don't do it. Oh, I mean, it's unbelievable. But no, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I'm not out on the Rams just yet. I do think it is interesting, though. They've now got a quarterback who... Uh, has a massive contract that he clearly uh, does not deserve, a running back that can't stay healthy that also has a massive contract, and they have no draft capital moving forward. Like, they have to win with this core nucleus of players because they can't really go get anybody else. Yeah, they can't reshape their team. They can add a little bit, but to your point, like, the, if they're going to win, it's win with those guys. Like, that's that's pretty much it. 
Sunday, after the Saturday slate, the Sunday slate kind of stunk, uh, I thought, for the most part. Because even the close game, like the Cowboys-Eagles game, was not a close game. The, uh, the Titans-Saints game. It was just a game, bad football game. Yeah, it was. Titans-Saints was, uh, I'd say, disappointing. But it was one of those things that I was watching it. And once the Jets lost, like, Titans didn't have Derrick Henry. And once the Jets lost, where it, did, like, basically nullified the result of that game. Because if the Titans win next week, they're in the playoffs. Uh, because of the the divisional record or not the divisional record the conference record now because of uh, because of the Steelers losing to the Jets so once it became a win and you're in thing I was like eh whatever they did kind of get screwed on that helmet to helmet that caused the fumble there at the end I thought that was pretty clear helmet to helmet it was honestly kind of scary because it was one of those things like the scariest type of fumble in the NFL is when the guy gets conked in the head and then he just drops the ball because you can kind of see him go limp for a second that uh that seemed to kind of change the outcome of the game, but I mean, refs missing calls in the NFL doesn't seem to be anything new. Bang, bang, play, whatever. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty good effort. I still don't think any other team in the AFC wants any part of the Titans once they get healthy and get right. Because if you have Derrick Henry, you know, if, if you get a Dory Jackson back in the secondary, like they're really good. I still believe in that because for the most part, Tannehill kind of went toe to toe with Breeze there. They had a lull in the second and part of the third quarter, but I, I was actually still fairly impressed that they held it that close with no Derrick Henry. Yeah, and they could not run the football yesterday. and That, that was the biggest problem, but uh, definitely a missed call. That That's one of those hits that, I mean, it's brutal. What else do you want the defender to do, though, once he sizes right. up a target and the target changes his, his level, but that still should have been called. I mean, in sports, sometimes you don't mean to do things and it still happens, and therefore it's a penalty. But uh, it should have been, that's for sure, and that would have changed the complexion of the game. I also saw some Titans media complaining about Mike Thomas taking his helmet off uh, after he broke the record. I mean, come on. Like, give me the helmet to helmet, or the uh, shoulder to the helmet. I don't know. I forget what they call it in the NFL. But the targeting, yes. That bitch about that all day long. But Mike Thomas taking his helmet off when he was actually physically off the field, but after he breaks the uh, single-season receptions record, come on. I didn't even notice that. I didn't notice, like, well, I mean, I, I saw him take his helmet off, but I didn't even notice whether it was on the field or off the field. Like, that didn't, uh, that didn't, uh, that didn't register with me that would have been a penalty. I agree. I, I, that doesn't really bother me. It has no effect on the game. But now it's kind of winning their end, and I was looking at it last night. Vegas certainly thinks that Houston, now that they won the division, are resting starters because the Titans opened as a five and a half point road favorite wow. at Houston. So that tells you they're they're not playing anyone, right? I mean, yeah, the Texans can't gain anything either, can they? I mean, no, but at the same time, like they could see the Titans in the playoffs, and this kind of goes back to my theory. I get resting is what they're going to do, but the other side of this coin that they're not going to do, but the case would be is, hey, why in the hell would you want to see Tennessee in the playoffs? Wouldn't you rather have Pittsburgh and Duck Hodges? So. Yeah, I mean, they're going to rest guys, but I, I think if the Titans get in, I really do think they're going to be a problem for somebody, particularly if they play in that, uh, If particularly if they get the Chiefs, if they have to go to Kansas City again, imagine the uh, the, the tight asses in, in that stadium from two years ago with the Chiefs, but I don't know. I think the Titans are tough if they're healthy. And they will be healthy, and I mean, God, the Steelers quarterback play stinks out loud, and they still have won eight games which is unbelievable but that's an interesting question man I mean I think especially after Christmas when when you're going towards the weekend I know the college football playoff is on Saturday but that's something that 
uh, you should talk about like extensively on the radio show because that's a really interesting question. If you're the, the Texans, would you rather beat the Titans so you can see either Duck Hodges or Mason Rudolph, and both of them are just terrible, or a hot Ryan Tannehill, a healthy Derrick Henry, and I, I assume Jeffrey Simmons will be back as well, right? I know he was he didn't play yesterday. But yes, he'll be I back. think so. They could get a Dory Jackson back. Like the yeah, Dory thing, Jackson I think actually back. holding this team back really is injuries. Like if they're fully healthy, they're going to be a real SOB for someone that gets a home playoff game. So who would you rather see, Pittsburgh or, or a healthy Tennessee? Hundred percent Pittsburgh. So, so then, so that's an interesting. Oh, because what would you do? I mean, I guess you you do sit guys because you know it's the playoffs and you just have to get to the playoffs. But man, if I that's a really interesting question. Yeah, because they're the. Uh, I mean, to me, they're they yesterday showed even shorthanded they can play with anyone in the NFL. I mean, they have a top five defense. They finally got the quarterback right. They've got two really good receivers. They've got a pretty good tight end and probably pound for pound the best running back in the NFL for the last 12 weeks. Like, I don't know what they're missing if they're healthy. It's kind of an interesting, very most atypical Titans team of all times, whereas they're usually weekly sneaking in the playoff picture to where now if they get in, it's like, holy cow. Um, really looking elsewhere, there wasn't a whole lot. The uh, Look, man, if, if you're Dak in the Cowboys, I get he wasn't healthy, but you have to win that game. I mean, Carson Wentz is throwing to, to two tight ends and a bunch of practice squad dudes. I can't believe they lost that game. Philadelphia with Carson Wentz, with all of those pieces out, was a two-and-a-half-point underdog at home in a game that decided the division. How do you lose that? And we have to tread lightly around here, but part of it is quarterback play, and that pisses people off around here, and we have to be careful when we talk like that on the radio show because it gets people all fired up and pissed off and mad. But Jason Garrett obviously is not the right coach for that roster. They should be better. But part of their issue is quarterback play. Oh, it's 100%. And they look, get I, production in garbage time or against bad teams, but when it matters, they do not get quality quarterback play. It happened again yesterday. That That's the problem there, is they are so limited in that spot. I don't know if you can actually hear that. ESPN's autoplay is going. Um, but they're so limited at quarterback, and it showed again yesterday – that, yes, a new coach will make that team better, but they will still have a ceiling. Yeah, I, see, that was my thing. Is like I was, Yesterday I was like, yeah, he doesn't look healthy because he's missed on a ton of throws. Like He was more inaccurate than he usually is. I'll give him that. But even Aikman was like, hey, this has been a problem for a couple weeks because Aikman always gets Cowboys games. And it was like, hey, this has actually been a problem for a couple weeks. Like This isn't just a now thing. And so I, I agree. Like, hey, Dad's adamant that he's getting that contract. And I think you can win games in the NFL with Dak Prescott you in the right situation. I think you can win playoff games. I think he's a viable NFL quarterback. But am I giving that guy $40 million? I couldn't do it. And it has nothing. Like, I, I mean, spare me the, the Mississippi stuff. I don't care where Dak Prescott's from. I think he's pretty good. But I, I'm not giving that kind of quarterback $40 million. It's just because Kirk Cousins or someone else got it doesn't mean he should. Like, if you're a GM, I, I can't do it. They're uh, they're going to have an interesting offseason because I don't think a coach fixes all of it. I think the coach stinks, but I don't think he fixes every bit of it. Amari Cooper wasn't a factor. Zeke stunk. Dak did make some throws down the stretch, but he also missed quite a few that really hurt them. So I, I don't know. If the Eagles get healthy. They're kind of an interesting playoff team, too. But the, I, I don't know how Dallas lost that. That that was that was shocking to me. 
Well, I mean, that's just kind of who they are. And the, the crazy thing about these negotiations that they're about to enter with Dak is they did everything right with Zeke Elliott until they actually offered him the contract he was always asking for. They did everything right. I mean, they, they dragged their feet. They gave the right statements to the press. They showed you how good Tony Pollard could be if you give him the appropriate amount of carries, even though he got two yesterday, which also, after he runs for 130 yards, you only give him two carries the next week when you're struggling offensively. I don't understand that at all. But they did everything right in negotiations until finally they were like, you know what, screw it. Let's just give him $20 million a year. What are you doing? Yeah, it's bad. they're bad coaching. They're limited a little bit at quarterback, and they – I don't know. That was just shocking to me yesterday. I thought the Cowboys would roll them. I thought they should have rolled them, but um, – that on the complete other side, Wentz was really good with a bunch of bad targets. Like the anti-Wentz thing, I don't really understand. Like, like that guy was incredible. And like I saw Cowherd make this point like last Friday or something. So I don't want to take credit for it myself, but everyone got credit for that Super Bowl except for the guy, the MVP candidate that got them home field throughout. So like, I I don't get the anti-Wentz thing. I think he's good. Uh, he just can't stay healthy. That's all it is. That's Yeah, and if he has a full collection of receivers, they're pretty good. I think Philly just got caught in a crappy year in terms of injuries. The uh, the Sunday night game was hilarious. The constant mentions of just the – you knew it was going to happen to the Trubisky-Mahomes thing, and then even you had <laughs> Mahomes counting where he was picked when they picked Trubisky second. Like if you're a Bears fan watching that, you just have to be like, oh, my God. I would have to turn the TV off. Like that 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 was brutal. They stink. Mahomes is great. Trubisky is not like that. You want to talk about something just crystallizing all in one moment? Holy cow! Yeah, I do hate that people act as if like Patrick Mahomes inexplicably fell so far, and everybody shouldn't be embarrassed. Like he was the number ten pick. Yeah, no, it's just same thing with Lamar Jackson. It's like, oh, nobody believed in Lamar Jackson. He was a first round pick. First round. What are you talking about? Nobody believed in him. Like I get that there were some media guys that wrote that he should play receiver, and some teams like asked him to work out at receiver because he's a superior athlete. Like if the Saints were the ones that are like, hey, Lamar, would you give a wide receiver a shot? We've already got Drew Brees. You know, we love you. We think you're a great athlete. Would you try it? Like, why is that so wrong? I don't I don't understand. Anything surrounding Lamar Jackson, I think, is so sensationalized one way or the other because he was still a first-round pick. Like this Little engine that could, nobody believed in him. Heisman Trophy winning first round draft pick just doesn't add up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the, the, I mean, if you're talking about passing on him, like the, the Baltimore Ravens passed on him once. But to your point, Mahomes was the 10th pick. But it's just like evaluating quarterbacks is always high risk, high reward. It's always a tough game to, uh, tough game to play. Like you can't really kill them in hindsight for it. It's just funny with the like, what could have been versus what actually happened type of thing. I find that uh, I find that to be pretty funny. But on the flip side of things, what uh, what's interesting to me about what what happened yesterday that no one's really talking about. It doesn't seem like because nobody was watching the game. The uh, the Seahawks got gutted. Like I think they're kind of a lame duck playoff team now. I don't know if you saw they lost Chris Carson for the season. They lost another offensive lineman. Like, I think they're just kind of good. They're turning into, I think they're going to lose to San Francisco next week, lose the division. I could be wrong, but they've kind of turned into a lame duck playoff team. Like, they, they had another injury yesterday. So, like, what do you make if you get Seattle in your first or second round game or in the divisional round? Like, 
they're not as scary as they once were. I know they have Russell Wilson, but I don't know how many injuries you can overcome. So that kind of happened with no one watching yesterday. That and they got beat by two touchdowns by a bad Arizona team. Yeah, I just need them to be good for one more week. So what would that do for the Saints seeding-wise? Um, so tonight, when the Packers play the Vikings, the Packers are ahead of the Saints if they went out because of interconference record. Uh, the Packers will be ahead of the Saints. The 49ers will be ahead of the Saints because of head-to-head. So they need the Saints, or I mean, they need the Seahawks to beat the 49ers to give the 49ers four losses, so they would jump into the two, and the Vikings to beat the Packers tonight, so they would jump into the one. If the Packers win and the 49ers win, they're the three. I think the Vikings win tonight, so I think you got one leg of that. At least, I, I, I mean, at least they get the two. Just get away from having to play a wild card. Yeah, that's a good point, and get the bye. Because, like, if it comes down to it, you get the two, you get the one home playoff game. Going to San Francisco with the way their defense has played, like, that's not – that's not, and it's not going to be, like, cold, cold weather with Breeze. Like, that's, that's really not that bad. I would actually kind of think like the Saints in that game now, which I completely flip-flop from – I guess six weeks ago, but the Niners' defense was good six weeks ago. So, yeah, that's that's really not a uh, not a tough task. But the the NFC playoffs are interesting because like the seems like the two most solid teams now on both sides of the ball in the NFC are Minnesota and New Orleans, whereas the 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 Saints are I mean excuse me the Niners are just kind of being carried by their offense because their defense is stinking. Like how far can that actually take them? Because, like, if you're giving me the two most well-rounded rosters and well-rounded teams, isn't it Minnesota and New Orleans? NFC side. Yeah, I would think so. Um, but I will still worry about the health of the Saints' offensive line. I mean, they need to get a couple of guys back. It sounds like they're going to, but, like, Andrews Pete, for example, has a broken arm. I mean, he's going to come back and play after that, but, ooh. And then they'll get Armstead back as well. And on the other side... I mean, no Marcus Davenport. Uh, I think they lost Sheldon Rankins as well. It's just, it's a thin defensive line, even though they were really productive yesterday. Um, that's what I'm worried about the most. Uh, secondary looked much better, even though I know they got toasted a couple of times. But all things considered, they were better yesterday than they've been in the last few weeks. I think they're a complete team, but injuries have kind of screwed that up. So that was really pretty in-depth NFL wrap-up. We Normally we have more to talk about and can't get like into most games. I think that was about all that happened. The rest of the games were just kind of crappy. Uh, I think Atlanta might keep Dan Quinn, though, and I don't necessarily blame them. They've been a pretty good team for a month now. If you're Atlanta, do you reach out to Joe Brady? Maybe. Like, who's calling plays for them now? Who replaced Sark? I don't even remember. But I would at least kick the tires on it. Why would you not? Dirt cutter. Okay. So, I mean, I would probably – I would roll the dice on Joe Brady because I think Dan Quinn's a pretty good defensive coach when he has all of his pieces. But that's an interesting one to me. Outside of that, God, the Chargers are a disaster. The Raiders aren't much better. Like, not really much happened. I think Arizona's probably going to be that team everyone in the offseason is like, oh, watch out if they spend some money in free agency – They'll be the sexy pick. The problem is that division just is so tough. But Murray's a lot of fun. Like, he, he's great. Yeah, he but, really is. So, I think that's about all we had NFL-wise. Let's make the uh, – let's go through the LB's bowl pick them, and then we can get out of here. Uh, let's see. 
You want to do SEC games? Oh, why don't we just roll through all of them real quick? I mean, we the crappy the crappy bowls make bowl season, man. <laughs> all right. The uh, there wasn't much from bowl season that really stuck out over the weekend. Oh, they uh, Pastor Hugh won his bowl game and then proceeded to take a shot at Aaron Murray for talking about going to Disney World. I found that to be kind of funny. He hasn't changed a bit. And that no, man, of course not. Of course he hasn't changed. God, and you still like if you I don't follow him anymore because I mean, why would I? But anytime <laughs> something like that gets retweeted into my timeline, I look at the replies and it's all old miss fans. Like, oh miss you, coach. Love you, coach. Like, what the hell is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you? I'll be careful with what I say here, but like there there's always a certain faction of people that kind of slip too deeply into that side, if you know what I'm talking about. And so they can be fooled by anyone who, no matter how superficial it looks, anyone on the surface, if you're very out there and and like loud about like, I guess your beliefs and all that, you're always going to fool a certain faction of people, I guess is the best way I can say that without offending anyone, or at least I hope not. I don't really care that much. But, like, there's always going to be that faction of people and the fact that he beat Alabama twice. That that kind of got him a cultish following that really what? is never fully going to go away because of the way people, like, crave football. And, like, we talked about the appetite for football in this country last week and how it swayed a, a governor's race in New Orleans and all that. So if you beat Alabama twice in the greatest dynasty, you know, that we've seen in a long time, maybe ever, like, that's going to buy some capital coupled with everything else. But yeah, he, I just have some perspective, though. Look at what happened to those two Alabama teams that you beat. One won a national championship. The other went to the playoff. And what did you do? Nothing. A Sugar Bowl is nothing anymore. It's just, I mean, Auburn went to it the next year with four losses. Like, it's nice. It's nice to win a Sugar Bowl. It's better than not winning the Sugar Bowl. But my God, it's not like winning the Sugar Bowl should make you forget about your program being wrecked and embarrassed over and over and over again. I don't get it. It blows my I just want to like sit these people down and say, "Hey man, like did somebody erase your memory for the entire year in 2016? Like do you remember anything? Did you have a traumatic brain injury or something that stopped you from remembering that year where your program was raked over the coals? where you were embarrassed publicly multiple times, you lost a bunch of football games, and the NCAA hammered you. Yeah, I mean, you're not good. But that faction of people, you're never convincing. It's it's wild to me. But when Liberty beats Alabama in a New Year's Six game in a couple of years, we'll get the same thing all over again. So look forward to that happening. I, I, cannot, I hope he's still the coach there, and they go to Oxford and lose by 40 so everybody can shut up. That's what well, I that, hope. That would be his coordinator's fault, man. That would not be oh, his of fault. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> if the guy yeah. hasn't learned anything, still searching his own name out on Twitter, either calling Aaron Murray out because that matters at all, or it, nobody cares what Aaron Murray says. Aaron Murray's wife doesn't care about what Aaron Murray says. Okay. Like, it doesn't matter. And if somebody, a big job somewhere, is going to take a chance and hire that dude and he has not changed one bit and we saw it after a bowl win i mean like an hour after they won a bowl game he's searching his own name on twitter and replying to people saying thank you for being complimentary of me or 
how dare you say that about my team? Actually, your facts are wrong. The uh, yeah, I've I I it's 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 quite something. Uh, let's roll through these. Central Florida minus fifteen and a half. I think this is to today. Uh, this is in like an hour uh, against Marshall. Uh, I guess UCF UCF seems to kick the crap out of all these inferior uh, group of five teams. I'll go UCF. Yeah, sure. Even though their offensive coordinator is gone. Classic New Year's Eve tradition. The Hawaii Bowl that now features Hawaii again. Hawaii is plus two against BYU. I think BYU, this is a classic game where no one cares, but BYU comes in and just kicks the crap out of them like by 40 because it's their Super Bowl. Isn't BYU's uh, quarterback a Romney? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I'm just going to say yes because so I want to. So Zach Wilson is their leading passer, but I think their now starting quarterback is a Romney. Hell yes. That's Because uh, okay, I think I'll he got hurt. That just reaffirms my selection. Now, see, now I'm trying to find it. Just to make sure. I don't want to give you guys the wrong information. This would be a good I, time I can't to find t- it anyway, but anyway, yeah, I think I know a Romney did play quarterback for BYU there for a little while. Uh, obviously, I forgot to mention a pot. I know pick them brought to you by LBs. Go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. All of these picks are sponsored by LBs. Uh, go pick out your own favorite meats there and use Greg's winnings that he got you throughout the year and buy some meats. So Go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. Absolutely the best place in Oxford, Mississippi, and Mississippi to get meat. Next one, we've got La Tech in Miami. La Tech is plus six against Miami in the – this isn't Shreveport. Yes, it is. Independence Bowl, Shreveport. Whatever. La Tech, big deal for them. Miami probably doesn't want to be there. Yeah, much different uh, motivation. So La Tech. Uh, Detroit, Michigan, the quick lane bowl from Ford Field. You've got Eastern Michigan in their first bowl game ever against Pitt. I always like picking the team, or not first bowl game ever, first bowl game in a long time. always like picking teams like this, so I'm going to go Eastern Michigan because they're going to want it. Yeah, for sure. And they have a, a gray turf field, and it makes you look like your television's in black and white. So I'll go with the gray turf team. Uh, military bowl. This is actually kind of interesting. Temple is plus four and a half against North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina seems to have it rolling. I think Temple's pretty good, but I'm going to go with uh, Mac Brown and Phil Longo here. They're recruiting pretty well. I thought that was a disastrous hire. Not the Phil, well, Phil Longo kind of added to it. I thought Mac Brown was just a washed-up, desperate hire. He's been pretty good. Yeah, it seems a little motivated, but uh, we'll see how long it lasts. So I'll go North Carolina, too, because of the talent disparity, but that's about it. Pinstripe Bowl. Um, Wake uh, Michigan State is minus three and a half over Wake Forest last year. I believe this may have been the game where the teams had terrible uniforms, or is that just Notre Dame playing in Yankee Stadium? Uh, I think that was just Notre Dame playing in Yankee Stadium. Either way, Michigan State's had a terrible year. I'm going to go Wake here. They've had a pretty good year. Yeah, I like Dave Claus, and they've battled with some injuries, but uh, good year versus Michigan State, having rumors circulating about their coaches. Future, uh, I'll go with the team that doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So, A and M getting a touchdown in the Texas Bowl over Oklahoma State. I think this Jimbo always—I say always—he's done it one year. This would seem like a pretty good statement opportunity for Jimbo to get people kind of riled up about next year when the program's supposed to kind of like take flight. I'll go Texas A and M here against my better judgment. Uh, I'll go A and M with uh, Chuba Hubbard. 
maybe the most classic bowl or not game. Not A&M, Oklahoma State. Excuse me. Yeah, Oklahoma State plus seven. I uh, maybe the most classic bowl game name when you're talking about just random bowls. The uh, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. I believe they used to have a San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl, where it's just like, good lord, that's a mouthful. Iowa minus two over USC. Uh, you, nothing seems to be going right for USC. I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes here. Yeah, and uh, bowl momentum and inspiration is kind of where I read an article about this yesterday about teams that have actually something to play for in their record in bowl games, and it's a real thing. So. Uh, Iowa does not have a lame duck coach with zero program momentum, so I'll go with Iowa. Even though Nate Stanley looks like he's throwing with his opposite arm just to see if he can actually do it. Yeah, he's he was wasn't he once a kind of an NFL-ish prospect? Yeah, he stinks out loud. Yeah, he's been rough. The oh, this is the, I don't know how they're going to top this. The Cheese It Bowl. Remember last year, this produced one of the. This honestly, uh, in its own beautiful way, was the one of the, if not the worst football game I've ever seen. You remember this was 10-7 TCU Cal. I don't remember how many turnovers there were combined, but these teams literally could not throw a forward pass or move the ball forward <laughs> at all. Like it was one of those things where when you got your the team, like if you had a side in it, like betting wise, if your team was on offense, you were sitting there like, please let this end in a punt and see if the defense can score. Literally. They couldn't move it anywhere. It was incredible. Uh, this year, it's Air Force is minus three against Washington State and Mike Leach. Uh, I don't really like uh, Wazoo's chances to stop the triple option, so I'll go with the uh, I'll go with the troops here. The 2018 Cheez It Bowl, TCU won 10 to seven in overtime with 28 yards passing on eight of 21. That is 1.3 yards per pass. There was nine interceptions thrown in the game. <laughs> Good God. Uh, and TCU averaged four yards per carry, and Cal averaged 3.3. So just a pathetic football game. You remember that Chase Garbers kid that tore up the Ole Miss secondary? Well, in that game, he was 12 of 93 with uh, 12 of 19 for 93 and three picks. <laughs> Good God. Uh, Camping World Bowl from Orlando. Uh, cool stadium area around it. Not so great. Notre Dame minus three and a half against Iowa State. I think I like Notre Dame here. I think they're probably just better than Iowa State is. Probably so. Yeah. I'm with you. Cotton Bowl. Uh, this is an interesting one. Penn State's uh, touchdown favorite over Memphis. I th- I think Penn State's going to kick the shit out of Memphis. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, too. I, you know, I always like kind of group of five, like Super Bowl-type games in, in this spot, but I, I, I don't buy it here. I think Penn State's going to kind of uh, – I've lessened my stance. I've always – throughout the football season, I kind of advocated for the whole group of five uh, thing. and the, like uh, Not group of five, excuse me. The American Conference not getting enough love, but I've kind of reversed course on that after some of the results. And then SMU getting beat by FAU the way they did – I come come on. So I, I'm gonna go Penn State here. I, I was pretty I was on a uh, died on the wrong hill on that one. Playoff game, same day, LSU Oklahoma. I think LSU rolls big time. I don't see Oklahoma stopping them. It's thirteen and a half. That doesn't really bug me. I'm gonna go LSU. Yeah, and uh, even if Edwards Hilaire can't play, Oklahoma also has some suspensions themselves. So it's kind of a wash and I'm with you. 
Clemson, Ohio State, probably the college football game of the year, in my opinion. I think I hope it lives up to the billing. I think this one's going to be awesome. I think these are probably the two best, most complete teams in the country. I know LSU's probably got a better offense than both of them, but Ohio State has looked unstoppable. Defense kind of lapsed a little bit at times, but uh, Clemson has really just kind of been bored. I think I'm going to go Clemson here, though. I'm going Ohio State. I think they've been a little bit more battle-tested, and they're probably better on defense. Fair enough. I, I, I don't have a feel for that game at all. That, I'm really looking forward to that, though. Like, I, I haven't really gotten, like, kind of hyped up about a college football game in a while in terms of, like, I really want to see this because I, I have no idea what's going to happen. This one's going to be fascinating to me because I think it's going to be high level. Like, if Ohio State blitzed Clemson, that wouldn't shock me. I might be a little more surprised if Clemson blitzed Ohio State. But, like, this is, gonna, this is going to be the game of the year. I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, then you rebound uh, two days later with the first responder bowl between Western Kentucky and Western Michigan. Uh, hell, I don't know. Western Western Kentucky? Yeah, they went to Arkansas and won, so whatever. Yeah, sure, whatever. Ty Story slinging the rock. Uh, Red Box Bowl from Levi Stadium in California. Cal minus six and a half against Illinois. This feels like a game that Illinois is going to win when they have no business winning it. Go Illini. Yeah, so I agree. Lovey Smith actually not doing a bad job there. No, he's been okay. They've been inconsistent, but he's been okay. Orange Bowl from Hard Rock Stadium. Virginia and Florida. I think Florida's going to kick the crap out of Virginia. Yeah, what a terrible football game this 14 is. 14 and a half, I forgot to mention. Doesn't bug me. I think Florida rolls by 20 plus. Yep. State and Louisville in the Music City Bowl on December 30th. Louisville is plus four and a half. Mm. I can't really trust State here. I think I'm going Louisville. State still feels like they're in a weird place to me. Like, it feels like. Like to me, like it's kind of the short-term euphoria of beating Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl and the dramatic ending and the Joe Moorhead press conference and all that. But then when you actually play a good team again, it seems like it might be back to reality. Scott Satterfield, ACC Coach of the Year, done a phenomenal job. I, I think State's going to kind of get a wake-up call as to what they just signed up for for another year. I hope that's not the case for them, just for their sake, because I know that's kind of frustrating. But I, I think Louisville wins. I think so, too. I know Callen Hill's going to play, but a couple of guys on the other side of the ball for Mississippi State will not be playing. And uh, with that and Louisville's athleticism and ability to to get people in space and run the football, and and I'm with you. I think that um, Louisville comes in with more momentum even without the uh, illustrious Egg Bowl win. Uh, because I just know how incredibly important that game is. It, it's just massive. And Louisville doesn't have the momentum to ride from the ever-important Egg Bowl uh, into this game. But, yeah, if you're getting four points, I'll take four points. Good Lord, there's a lot of bowl games. I, you were probably yeah, right to skip some of these. But whatever, we're all the way through it now. We're in it for the long haul. Sun Bowl, El Paso, Texas. Who could not get excited about Arizona State, Florida State? Arizona State's minus four and a half. I'm going Arizona State here. Herm Edwards is going to stomp on a bad team. Yep, without a doubt. Liberty Bowl, Navy and Kansas State. Navy's a really good team this year, and I think they were a little bit underrated c- compared to some of the past Navy teams. Uh, the guy at Kansas State's done a pretty good job. His name's escaping me. I'm going to go Chris triple Kleiman. option here. Yeah, Chris Kleiman. I'm going to go triple option here, though. This might be the fastest game of the year because Kansas State likes to run the football as well. It'll be like a two-hour and 45-minute football game. I'll go Kansas State because they kind of have a similar style but better players. I will uh, see why Arizona Bowl. Oh, God, what is what are these bowls? Wyoming minus We're adding seven. Two against, more next year. Oh great! I like watching it on television. I think it's kind of funny, but like, good, come on. 
Wyoming getting a touchdown or giving a touchdown, I should say, against Georgia State. Isn't Georgia State back in a bowl for the first? No, that's not. That's not right. Uh, Wyoming, why not? I don't know. I'll go Georgia State just because. Texas and Utah. This is actually kind of fascinating. Alamo Bowl. Uh, Tom Herman seems to be trending in the wrong direction for a little bit. I still don't think he's forgotten how to coach. I still think he'll be okay. It is year three. They did beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl last year. But uh, give me Utah in this. How motivated is Utah, I guess, is the question. But I think they're just better than Texas. It's a good point. Kentucky and uh, Belk Bowl. Kentucky is plus two and a half against Virginia Tech. Kentucky's still doing the Lynn Bowden thing, but I think this is one of those games where Mark Stoops kind of pulls Justin Fuente's pants down. I'll go Kentucky to win. Bud Foster's last game ever, he pulls out a good defensive performance and the Hokies will win. This hasn't been talked about enough, I don't think. Michigan-Alabama in the Citrus Bowl, Alabama's minus seven. I think Hardball kind of regains some favor here because Alabama doesn't want to be there. I'll go Michigan. I will too. Alabama could not care less about being there. Yeah, I mean, the, when you're Alabama, what you've been through the last half decade and you're going to get stuck on a January one bowl at 11 in the morning, uh, no thanks. Or maybe that game's at noon. Whatever, doesn't matter. You get my point. It's Minnesota, at noon, but whatever. Auburn, Auburn, Minnesota, Outback Bowl. Auburn, a touchdown favorite. I think I'll go Auburn here. I think Gus kind of makes a statement in the next year. I think that Auburn team, despite what they lose on defense, is going to be pretty good. I think Bo Nix is going to be a good quarterback, so I'll go Auburn here. Yeah, Auburn rolls athletes over – uh, lesser athletes, for sure. The Rose Bowl, the most overrated tradition in college football, even though I kind of like watching the game. It's a New Year's Day classic. I don't hate the Rose Bowl, but the Pac-12, the way they handle the Rose Bowl and act like the parade is like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day deal, like get over yourselves. So Michigan, excuse me, Wisconsin, Oregon. Wisconsin is a three-point favorite. Uh, give me Oregon here. They're a pretty good defense, and they're a physical defense. Not great offensively, but they run at you, and they're a good defensive team. Give me Oregon here. I'll take Oregon as well. Uh, Sugar Bowl, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This, so we got some good ball games on January one, two. Georgia Baylor. I'll go. Hmm. I'll go Baylor. I think Georgia kind of does the same thing as last year. They don't really want to be there. Yeah, and I, I still I am questioning Kirby Smart's uh, actual in-game coaching. He can recruit like mad, but there's something off there uh, with in-game coaching in him. There's something wrong. Uh, so I'll go Baylor for now, even though Matt Rule could be distracted by potential NFL suitors. Okay. Uh, let's see. Now we're back into kind of the weeds here. January 2nd, you've got Cincinnati get, uh, minus seven in the Birmingham Bowl against Boston College. Uh, Boston College lost its coach, so go Bearcats. Yeah, that's going to be a terribly attended game as well. Jeez. God. Uh, Indiana and Tom Allen's team taking on Tennessee. That's a, I think I like what Tom Allen's doing there. Uh, Gator Bowl. Uh, Tennessee's minus one and a half, but I, I think Tennessee's riding a serious momentum wave right now. When you talk about a college team going into bowl season, uh, give me the balls. Yeah, they will win the offseason national championship this year as well. Either they them will, or... It might be a little bit more warranted than years past. Yeah, maybe so. Either them or Texas A&M are going to be your offseason national champions. Uh, potato, the Potato Bowl on January 3rd, Nevada is plus seven and a half against Ohio. All I know about Ohio is they're going to have some badass receiver, a decent quarterback, and they're going to beat the crap as that old head coach with the uh, bulky headphones runs the sideline. So, Ohio. Yep, I'll go with Ohio, too. Tulane and Southern Miss. So, Tulane kind of stumbled down the stretch, if not mistaking. It's the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth on January the 4th. Uh, Southern Miss, Tulane. Plus, Southern Miss plus seven. I was trying to find it the line. 
Uh, I'll go Southern Miss here. I think Tulane's kind of stumbling. Yeah, they fell off a cliff, Tulane did. So I'll go Southern Miss as well. ULL, last bowl game of the year before the national title game against Miami of Ohio on January 6th, the Alabama Bowl in Mobile. Uh, Lad Lending Peoples. Tree Bowl. Okay, Lending Tree Bowl. I don't know why this says Alabama Bowl. Uh, ULL minus 14 against Miami of Ohio. Whatever. I think that guy's done a pretty good job down there. Uh, Napier, uh, I guess ULL. Yeah, they've got three running backs, all of which are either at or close to 1,000 yards. So... Sure. I would say give me your national title pick, but we'll be back before then. We're actually probably going to be back before these last crop of bowl games we just picked, but whatever. doesn't matter. Um, that's about all we had today. Hopefully this gets you through the new year. You got anything else? I think that's it, man. Cool, cool. Well, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. It's been a cool first year of the pod. I know it's not exactly a year. We started up in February, but everyone seems to uh, want to thank everybody now once the calendar turns from December to January. So uh, thanks for being with us in 2019. Hopefully we're all still alive and we'll see you in 2020. Uh, but uh, we'll be back at it here in about a week and a half. I'll remind you one more time, go to LB's University Avenue, cross from Coger. Go see Greg for the year ends. He's fired up about Lane Kiffin. Business is booming over there. We appreciate Greg sponsoring the podcast. Maybe we'll get him on to do some playoff picks, get his thoughts on, on how the meat industry is going through the holidays. But uh, we really appreciate his partnership. And uh, we'll be back at it after the new year. Hope everybody have a safe and happy holiday season. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.